Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, hello, everybody. Today, I am talking to Pranav Yadav, the CEO of NeuroInsight for the Americas and Europe. And what is so cool about NeuroInsight, everybody, is they can tap into research based off of the subconscious for consumer decision making. So they're going to they can figure out and tell you why certain ads are more memorable, when to do certain things and just why we connect with certain ads and advertising compared to others. And so Pranav and I talk about memorable ads what memorable marketing is and we just break down from our favorite ads of the past present and future and how to best connect with gen z millennial audiences when making these ads and advertising so if you want to know more about your subconscious and how to connect with people on a deeper level when it comes to marketing and advertising you've come to the right place you're here for the right episode so stay tuned and listen in all right, Pranav, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so our first question that we like to ask all of our guests is, what does the term young influential mean to you? Well, influence, as um, it was defined to me uh, as a child, uh, was someone who can uh, impact opinion making uh, at, at, at the mass level. So to me, uh, in, you know, as we've created a noun of the word influencer recently. Um, a young influential is someone who, regardless of their age, can impact the youth at a mass scale. So that's what a young influential means to me. Okay, okay, that, that works, that works. That's a good definition. <laughs> it's, I, I said regardless of their age because I, I'm not young anymore, so I'm <laughs> one. <laughs> you know, you're as young as you feel is what I always say, like... <laughs> Nobody, nobody's keeping track. Um, so first, can you kind of explain what your current role is and, um, and what your company does? Sure. Um, so I'm the founder and CEO of NeuroInsight uh, in the U.S. Um, NeuroInsight is based in the premise that 90% of human decision making takes place in the subconscious. And it's not uh, us saying it. It's the past 5,000 years of philosophy or the past 100 years of neuroscience that tell us that. And given 90% of decision-making takes place in the subconscious, and the subconscious by definition is sub, below your conscious awareness, we don't have access to 90% of our decision-making. So the billions of dollars that are spent every year on new product innovation, strategy, packaging, marketing, advertising, 
are based on self-reported data or in other words asking people questions showing you this uh, bottle and asking you do you like this color or not and would you pick this bottle up from a shelf or not um, and that uh, you know that's how we do things except that doesn't correlate to in-market behavior so my company invented a certain kind of brain mapping technology that looks at different parts of the brain as we go through any experience and decode the drivers of motivation and help uh, actually serve people better and give them what they actually want. And I feel like you touched on a good point. Like I know I feel like for me, I've noticed if I see anything in glass packaging or something that looks more expensive or <laughs> like I'm more drawn to it. And I feel like that's a pattern that I've now noticed about myself where I see all of my recent purchases, like in terms of like skincare, it ha- like they've all been glass packaging or um, if I notice where it looks eco-conscious or eco-friendly, I'm more drawn to it. Um, same thing with the color blue, like stuff that's in blue packaging or different hues, like especially navy. Like I'm more drawn to where I'm like, oh, and and a lot of times I'll be like, oh, I, I don't want the same color. <laughs> then like I'll see a book bag or something and I'll see the navy one when I'm going in of trying to get like black, red, or a different color. And I'm just like, ah, oh, navy, the navy looks so good. So I feel like that's so true. It's like we're, even if we don't realize it, like we are drawn to certain marketing types, whether it's with uh, mar- with like the packaging or the product itself. And I feel like we're, I feel like now a lot of us, if we pause and think about it, we'll notice we're like, oh, wait, actually all my recent purchases or a commercial, or I like this brand because they do X, Y, and D. <laughs> Exactly. And what we say is not what we do, because if they were to ask you that question, you, because now you're aware of this fact as well, you'd like to deny it uh, and showcase the breadth of the person that you are, except when it comes to action, uh, it's very different from what you would have said. Um, So self-reported data, when you say that you're going to do something or how you answer that correlates to in-market behavior at about a 24% level, so which is which is nothing. Whereas, you know, the, the kind of data that we record from the brain correlates to actual choice making, behavior change or in-market sales at about an 86% level. So there's a world of a difference between what you say and what you do. Oh, wow. That, 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 that's new information to process. <laughs> Goodness. So uh, taking a step back and zooming out, um, were you always in love with marketing or did something spark like as a kid that you that drew you to marketing or how did your love for it kind of begin? Yeah, well, the truth is, um, I didn't know anything about marketing. Um, And um, I grew up, uh, one, in in the performance arts, loving the performance arts. I, I, you know, loved doing theater um, and then loved, uh, you know, being a bad singer. Uh, (laughs) And then being a bad ballroom dancer uh, and I, I enjoyed all of those things as as a part of uh, you know uh, of growing up and and you know at several stages thought well, what a life it would be um, if I couldn't make any of those things uh, my profession except I came from I know and I make the joke that my blonde hair and blue eyes would mislead you to believe that I'm from Sweden <laughs> but I came from uh, uh, an Indian family that had a lot of focus on achievement so I, I went to college uh, and I, you know, triple majored in, in math, physics and economics. Um, ended up then working on Wall Street. I used to be a structured equity derivatives trader at Goldman Sachs. 
um, if that means anything to you. Uh, and and I, finally, it was during that time that we were like launching a new product and we needed some marketing for it. Um, and, uh, you know, the agency of record was, you know, uh, a, a WPP company. And I remember as a young 22-year-old analyst going to those offices um, and coming back and discussing with the rest of my team how that thing was all fluff. Um, and so that was my first interaction in a professional setting with marketing. But yet, as I left Goldman and I learned about, you know, how businesses work, um, you realize what an important role marketing plays in the idea of communication. Uh, the entire representation of a brand to the world is done through marketing. So if, if you know, your business is like the soul, like the principles on which things are built, then this body uh, is marketing. That's the only thing that's actually visible and tangible. Uh, and that's how people are interacting to you through this. Um, so I realized, you know, while I was doing some consulting work, uh, uh, the importance of marketing. And then I actually started seeing it for the potential that it possesses. Because, you know, I realized that, you know, back in the day, in kingdoms, uh, you know, the kings and the queens held all the power to create culture, to showcase what are the things that society should should see and receive, whether it was musicians or art forms, etc. But in today's day and age, the biggest culture drivers are businesses. They are the biggest inve investors in the idea of culture. So if, and if marketing is the tool through which they do it, imagine the potential that sits within it in order for it to be able to influence culture. So, you know, that's how my love for marketing began as just an area of immense potential in being able to impact culture for tomorrow. And I feel like you touched on something really cool. I feel like marketing, there's so many people from the creative background to, like you said, do dancing or, or artists or whatever. And I feel like that's just an area where you really have to be creative. And I feel like a lot of times, like people hear the term marketing, they're like, like, I don't know if that's for me, but it's such a creative field. And like you said, there's so many opportunities and it's really just telling a story and just like taking whatever that product or whatever that business is and like saying it in an artful and creative way. And I feel like um, that's what a lot of times when people first hear that term, they don't realize that it's a creative field but they think of like, oh, it's business. Like it has to be rigid and fact sheets and Microsoft Excel. <laughs> That's the complete opposite. People are well, when done right, when done right, it's a creative <laughs> field. But uh, we're feel sometimes we go in the exact opposite direction. And I and you're exactly right. I feel that my experiences uh, in in having been on stage uh, in you know small scale theater or like I said, with bad singing or bad dancing, but knowing that the, the entire act is to be able to communicate our intended message to this particular audience, you know, which is going to receive this information in this particular setting. That is no different from the exact point of marketing. The point of marketing and advertising is to get across a certain message, whether it's about a new product, key message, or brand implicitly or explicitly, either by actually saying something or by behaving in the way that people will perceive it a certain way um, to the correct audience in a way so that they can receive it, which means the environment is important, 
retain it, retain it, which means they can actually remember it and act on it in the market. That's essentially the entire point of this exercise. Whether you do it using technology, whether you use it doing any channel, uh, or you're doing a, do a person-to-person -person interaction, all of the objective of marketing is the same. We just use different tools to be able to leverage it, but sometimes we forget the very basics of it and get lost in the tools and the technology. Exactly. And I feel like you touched on a good point. Like it's all about like connecting to your audience. And I feel like a lot of times people get so caught up. They're like, oh, we have to make sure we have like this singer in there. We want this person endorsed it and we want that. And it's like, okay, if you're getting too caught up in the whatever, whatever, you're going to lose the main point of it, which is to connect to an audience and really drive them in to your product or to your trade or whatever your business that you're offering. And I feel like that's something that you that you, so important we is always lost in translation that we just focus too much on one aspect and we forget that okay at the end of the day we're our biz, we're trying to tell a story we're trying to connect with the potential buyers the potential clients and so we can't get too far out from it and so you always need that person that's like okay let's let's hone it in like I feel like we're <laughs> losing track of why we're all here in the first place yeah exactly as you know as they say like as I you know that. You should be spirit over form, or as I always like to say, it, it's principle over the rule. And the difference is this, right? Like a principle is that I, I only work with smart people. Okay, that may be a principle. A rule is that I only work with people who go to Harvard or Stanford. Now, if I keep following the rule, I will eventually find someone who's not that smart from Harvard and Stanford because they exist. If I keep following the principle, I continue to work with tremendous people. So it's spirit over form. And same thing in marketing. It really comes down to that basic idea that you just mentioned of connecting with your audience uh, and getting through the message that you want to get through. Um, and it doesn't need to come again through either one platform. Oh, my God, which is the best platform for your ROI? Is it LinkedIn or is it Facebook these days or is it TikTok? Well, who cares? Are you producing uh, a message that's relevant to your audience that when they do come across this, the quality of impact is such that that actually leads to action? Because otherwise, there's no end to the clutter in the world right now. And I think that's so key to like figuring out what's best because I feel like we're now in a time where everybody's just trying to get eyeballs instead of like figuring out where like what's the best platform for our thing. Like if you're selling cupcakes and maybe having a Pinterest board of different sprinkles isn't what's best. Maybe showing how you make your cake and the story behind how you got started using videos like on Instagram Reels or TikTok instead of feeling like, oh, we got to be on everything. And I feel like that's something as people in the marketing, branding, advertising realm, we, a lot of times we like, we got to be everywhere. We got to reach everybody. And it's like, if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. So it's like, you have to really know who you're talking to yeah. and really hone in and be like, hey, this is, this is who we're reaching this is the best thing that we feel like can help explain our story. Not the most, it might not be the most popular thing, but you have to pick something to like grow your audience and grow yeah. your messaging and be like, you know what, this helps us tell our messaging better. Like everybody might not be over here. Like it might be LinkedIn and you might be like, Oh, LinkedIn's kind of died, but like, this is what's going to be best for how we explain ourselves and keep people updated and reach potential clients and uh, connect with other people. Yeah. And you mentioned, mentioned something really nice there. It's actually less about the category. It's less about the cupcake. It's about the story that you want to tell about the cupcake. If you want to tell a creative story about a cupcake, 
that I make the prettiest cupcakes in the world and this is my process, it may come through a different medium. If you want to tell the perfection in the proportionality of how I bake my cupcakes, that's a different kind of story for a different kind of platform. But you have to understand who you are and what is it about yourself that you want to communicate. Um, that, that you know, the channel kind of picks itself once you have that clarity. But most people are, they want the tactical first and, and they don't want to do the work to find who they truly are as businesses or what it is that they want to communicate as products or brands. Yeah, and I feel like finding like who, like what your brand is and what your story is is so important to start off with first before you just start whatever. <laughs> because if you're, if you're, let's say, if you're a law firm, maybe making TikTok dances isn't going to be what <laughs> helps advertise. You, like you might have a dancing lawyer in your team who like dances and like says legal terms and legal jargon. That might be something you discover later on. But if you're starting out, that might not be <laughs> the best thing that makes sense for your business. It might be using LinkedIn or doing a blog post to talk about like different cases and like things you've learned over the years or things that um, you learned in law school that help that might be good advice for potential lawyers and paralegals and stuff. So I think it's very important that before you start moving off into the platforms that you kind of know who your brand story is and you know what you're trying to accomplish and what your uh, ROI is and all that stuff, KPIs and all that stuff is before you just start sticking and throwing stuff out there because it's what quote unquote everybody else is doing. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly right. And um, in regards to what a lot of people, whenever we're talking about like marketing or ag uh, agency or whatever their background is, they've uh, some people have come from like different backgrounds. So do you feel that other you learned a lot of skills from whether a first job or jobs leading up to finding uh, founding this your current company? Like I know I always tell people that when I worked at Abercrombie and Apple, there were so many skills that I learned at those companies that I still use to this day. Like in regards to having patience when people are when you're trying to fix someone's phone or um, helping people find something that suits them or knowing how to talk to them, which was something that I really learned like at Abercrombie where you had to like learn how to talk to people, how to find a product that suits them and fits them best. So do you have any that from earlier? It could be a first job as a teenager to early on in your career. <laughs> yeah, man. I I mean, I actually think that just the way society is structured today we we like to think that you know a certain training in a discipline completely shapes uh, or should shape or is the only thing that makes you good at that one thing we go to college for four years and and by the way most of us barely study during college <laughs> <Raises hands. laughs> so so just to like assume that four years of college in marketing or, or in engineering makes you a fantastic engineer or a fantastic marketer is just a completely flawed idea. And especially in the workplace, the, the skills that you need for you to be able to deliver on certain asks are so different from that original training exercise. So you kind of, you have to have picked up on skills from a variety of different places. I, um, you know, I left home uh, uh, when I was 15 years old and I showed up in a country where I'd never been to before. Uh, you know, I, I you know, never left India uh, and I went to Singapore and these were people who grew up with an entirely different worldview. It, it was a, a lot more affluent country. Uh, their people's ambitions were different. 
and I was 18, I came to America. And at every stage, you have to figure out, how do I talk to these people? Uh, what is it that drives them? What are the true motivators? So you pick up a skill of being able to figure out how do you communicate with a counterparty who doesn't share the same kind of myths, stories, songs and rituals that you grew up with. So that's a skill you pick up. You go to a goal, place like Goldman Sachs, which when I worked at Goldman was probably one of the you know biggest and the best companies in the world. It still is, but you know it was at its peak. And I saw some of the brightest, most ambitious people I've ever met in my life under that roof. And they're you know, uh, the clarity on how uh, one needs to approach life and work and the excellence that you, per, you know, pursue was a remarkable thing to pick up. Like there was just no compromise on the amount of work one would put, put in to produce excellence. Uh, a great little thing to pick up. Then I worked at a, at a Danish company um, where for the first time I saw tremendous food and attention to coffee or, uh, you know, organic wines being brought to the office because they were trying to build a culture. And this is back in the day. This is before, you know, it became a trend uh, in the States to do those things. But this was done at a very human, basic 10 people office level um, and, 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 and learned that actually offices can be built like that. There's a reason why, you know, back back where you see the make your subconscious conscious and the first thing that I built in this office was a social area with a bar where you know my team could come together and actually chat so again what did what did I pick up from the variety of things that I everything um, the craft is 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 necessary to learn but you can learn the craft of marketing uh, by learning a few things but I feel like if you come into marketing, only with that craft and nothing else, you'd be a failed marketer because it takes a lot more than reading, uh, you know, books that define things in five P's and four C's and 10 D's. Um, I've made the last one uh, It's not even the five P's. But, uh, but, uh, but the truth is that you have to have a worldview. You have to have a framework to be able to see the world and to be able to communicate in this world for you to be a successful marketer. As simple as that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I feel like you touched on a really key important thing where you're talking about like holding on to those skills or like being flexible. Because I feel like a lot of times like we'll be like, like I feel like when I came through like marketing then was 
social media marketing was kind of starting off, but not really. And I feel like if my age group, if we all started up being like, oh, we don't need to learn how to advertise our market to this group or that group or whatever, or feeling like we didn't need to learn any new skills, we'd be out of jobs quickly. And I feel like that's a skill that a lot of people feel like, oh, like, I don't, I'm good. I don't need to uh, pick up a new skill or like learn what's trending or learn what the new skills are to reach other groups where it's like, uh, you do like stuff changes so it's just all about just being being able to be molded like clay not feeling not being in like the final form of being heated and like stuck in that but staying in the like the wet part where you're able to be moldable and movable and kind of look at new ideas and and listen to feedback whenever clients are saying like hey like i feel like uh if you're really trying to reach us in this capacity you all should be doing X, Y, and D and not being like, oh, how dare they give us this feedback? That is not our mission. It's like, if, you're, if your audience who you're trying to reach is telling you, like, this is what you should be doing, you should be listening. And I feel like that goes across the board with all fields. Like, never be in a mindset where you feel like, oh, I don't need to learn anymore. Like, you should always be in a state of learning and hearing what other people are saying, what you should be doing and not taking it personal. But at the end of the day, you have a business and you want to be able to reach these clients and reach these people and, and be able to take that feedback. And 100% agree. And I would just extend that a step further, saying that that's not just a way to be a good marketer. Um, it is the way to be a good person and actually for a good life. Uh, because at any point that you think, uh, you know, you've learned enough um, or there's, you can't, the world has little to contribute to your life, then I, I think it's, it should be the end of it anyway. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Um, speaking of, uh, that type of marketing, um, can you explain like what you think makes a memorable marketing, like in terms of like what you all do, like, are there any key things that you've noticed that Pete, that are really good tactics, really good practices that you all have noticed that make an ad or make something memorable compared to others? Like, for instance, I know, don't quote me on it, but I feel like, uh, somebody said recently, like for Gen Z audiences, their average attention span is like eight seconds. So you have to really be able to capture their attention early on in an ad. And, uh, for millennials, I don't even remember the point, but I feel like nowadays you have to, whenever you're doing something an ad or making an impression, you have to put whatever that is early on in it. You can't do like a four minute ad or a 60 minute, 60 seconds and, put the like point of it in the middle, like you kind of have to start off with something that really grabs their attention. All right. Well, this will be a long answer. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I'll, I'll break it down in a few pieces. The first piece is I'll break it down into how our brains experience stories. Uh, two, I will, you know, take that further into what makes an effective ad. And three, then I will get into the millennials and the Gen Z question. Okay. So, the, the human brain is a pattern-seeking and storytelling device. You know, that's how it makes sense of the world. And even when we did not have a written language, we were actually passing down wisdom from one generation to another. And how we were doing that, because prose is actually very hard for you to remember. We were creating songs and we were creating poems and they were passed down from generation to generation you know, thousands and thousands of lines of wisdom just passed down from generation to generation as a way uh, for you to be able to do that. For us to be able to do that, though, those things had to be memorable. You had to find ways for you to actually memorize these things. 
if you look at some of the oldest, most remarkable stories, um, and you know, pardon me if someone gets offended when I refer to some of the religious texts, which I think are amazing. I think the Old Testament is filled with remarkable stories. If you look at the Odyssey, uh, it is a phenomenal story. If you look at the Mahabharata or the Ramayana, phenomenal story. All come with a lesson that you want people to actually take away out of it. And yet, the reason why they've had to build these grand stories, sometimes spanning like five generations, is to give the brain a way to actually get engaged in this idea. And when it comes to the point of most engagement, when you're most invested in this entire story, comes the message. And that's just how the best orators in the world have been able to communicate a message at scale. That's how the best books have been written. That's how the best communication happens. So advertising relies on the same principle. You want someone to act in the future based on the message that they're receiving in the present. And the only way the human brain knows how to do that is by storing things into long-term memory. It's a complete flawed idea. I feel like some, you know, guy sitting on Madison Avenue in the 60s smoking a cigar, uh, you know, or smoking a cigar, sorry. Uh, <laughs> would have, uh, you know, said like, hey, you know what? It's emotion that drives advertising. And for the next 30, 40, 50 years, people, you know, kind of believe that till we got the tools to measure emotions and we realized that emotion is not the driver of behavior. It may be a driver of something into memory, but there are other drivers of memory as well. But unless and until a message is driven into memory, it is not an effective ad. It could be a good creative, but not an effective ad. So that's the role memory plays in creating good advertising. And now the topic of, uh, you know, Gen Z's and, and, and millennials, it's a question that I'm asked often and this, you know, attention span of a goldfish, you know, <laughs> all of these things are, are just thrown around so casually. And when I ask that first question to these people saying that, fine, how, how is it that it's the same generation that is binge watching TV shows for hours straight? Do you think they still have a second, seven second um, attention span when they're watching Euphoria? No, it is not true. It is true that when you give them something that is not speaking to them at a fundamental level, they don't have the attention. But who does? Sometimes some, some generations and cultures train people to overcome their instinct uh, of, of running away from something when something is not engaging them fully because you know, they, they celebrate the idea of, of suffering through something to get to the other side. And by the way, there, there, there are times that there's value to that. But this generation is wealthy, they have options, uh, and if you do not engage them, uh, they, you know, you can put all the branding you want in the first three seconds. If there was not content that was engaging to them or speaking to them, you would have still missed the mark. Um, and if you do speak to them, then your branding can come in 45 minutes into the entire thing and they'll still give you the attention. So again, it's principle over the rule and spirit over the form of five seconds or seven seconds or 15 seconds. It's about creating content that speaks to the audience. And to like, again, take that one step further. When you look at the generations in America, uh, you know, 
from the boomers to uh, the Gen X to the, the millennials and then the Gen Zs, if you look at the cultural transformation of the country, um, you will actually see how messaging has had to change itself to address that particular audience. And I don't know why it's suddenly such a foreign concept to be able to do that. You know, the boomers, if you try to decode the boomers, you look at, you know, they grew up with the civil rights movement, the Vietnam War, you know, there was space travel coming. Um, they were promised the, the American dream. And they were, you know, post-war babies who were radicals of the 70s and yuppies of the 80s. Their mediums that they were consuming stuff on were newspapers and magazines. And, you know, their social currency was money and being valued. So if you look at all the advertising or marketing during that time, one also given to the, the medium, the magazines and newspaper, and the social currency of what who they were trying to speak to, it was direct and it would promote consumerism. So, so that's how, you know, that world was. If you look at the Gen Xs, you know, you have the Watergate, you have the energy crisis, it's the end of the Cold War, and mom starts going to work. Um, they kind of had to take care of themselves. Uh, their politicians were lying to them, and the parents were getting laid off. Uh, and the U.S. was no longer the strongest economy in the world, and this was the first generation in America that was not going to be as prosperous as their parents. So their motivations or their social currency was freedom and removal of rules. Um, so if you and they were consuming stuff now on TV and radio. So if you look at the advertising during that time, it became about emotionality and what brands could could do to make them feel liberated. And which is why, like, you know, when I say that some guy sitting in Madison Avenue said it's all about emotion, he wasn't wrong for that generation. Mm -hmm. But that's not the driver of good advertising in general. But it worked at that time because a lot of good things came out of that era and that, that kind of marketing. The millennials, you know, again, if you look at the mindset, you know, there were, there were mass shootings in schools. There were terrorist attacks. There was 9-11. There was the internet bubble, you know. They were sheltered as their parents, you know, were very protective of them. Um, and this generation came with the hope to turn things around and saw a transition from analog to digital in a way no other generation has seen. So the, the early part of childhood was all analog and then, you know, teenage to further on was all digital. So their motivation and social currency was, you know, connecting with other smart and creative people and being able to bring about a change in the world. So if you look at, again, the messaging uh, during this time, it was similar. You know, Nike's Just Do It came out at this time. MasterCard's Priceless came out at this time. You know, Apple's Think Different came out at this time. So again, it was catering to that generation. So again, now that we get to our Gen Zs, uh, who are digital natives, it's no news to anybody, grew up with the social media revolution. Um, they have, they only know how to connect through that medium first and then in real life setting later on. What their social currency is, is what is potentially celebrated on that medium rather than in real life. Um, and they grew up with the cancel culture. They grew up um, you know, shifting focus and loyalties with social media trends every month or every two months, right? So, which, you know, is reflected in their personal lives and relationships as well. And this is not to put the blame on anybody. This is just where life and society is right now. So, 
when brands try to communicate with them and they are not virtue signaling in the right way that the, the Gen Zers actually want to, then, then they're canceled and they move on to the next brand. So the key to be able to talk to Gen Zers, you know, people love talking about authenticity. <laughs> Guess what? Brands are very authentic, um, you know, and, and if, if anybody, uh, you know, there are some that are great at being able to do that and we should all aspire to that. Yet at the same time, where they truly go wrong is when they, again, tactically try to address the topics that they think Gen Zers want to actually listen to, but do it in a way that seems completely off to the Gen Z audience. And it doesn't mean that you actually have to just get a Gen Z to actually do the things that they're doing, but you have to at least understand and decode what is it that they're talking about, why is this valuable to them, and how do I serve it in a way that actually serves my brand in the long term too? Because I can't, if you keep switching your initiatives with the trends in the market, you will run out of money very soon. So, you know, um, I, I, I love this question of millennials versus Gen Zs, but again, it's, it's deep rooted in who these people are and how they need to be spoken to. And brands don't put in the, the effort to actually understand that audience. And that's so true. Like I, I remember talking to a few um, agency P, uh, companies who were like, "Oh, we hired agencies who are specifically run only by Gen Z to touch, uh, to really adapt into it." So I think it's important that, like, if you notice or you see, like, "Hey, like, our team is struggling with finding out how to relate to um, millennials in the UK or millennials from this area or, or Gen Zers of this background," like. It's very important to, I always say, like, start with, like, are there people in our team who reflect that? Like, what is something, what is messaging that they would like to see us do or that? Because I feel like a lot of times, like, companies are just, like, putting out messaging and then they get backlash and they're like, I don't understand how this happened. And I'm like, did no one in the room, like, brief that or go a step further? Like, uh, do you not have people on your team that are representing this audience that you're trying to reach? Because then they're getting an inside look and being able to see like, okay, like our messaging whenever we're talking to this group of people makes me feel like this. And I know that's not what we meant, but this is how I'm feeling. So let's do that. So I think it all starts with making sure your team is also made up of those people that you're trying to reach. And then also if you need help or you need to see, don't be afraid to reach uh, like outside help or these agencies or these teams or people that can come in and train your people to understand how to reach different audiences or kind of give you more experience on it. I feel like that's something that a lot of companies wait till it's like the end of it where it's like, I didn't know. But it's like, um, you're a little too late, Jojo. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that obviously, you know, in today's, and actually at any point in life and society since civilization was formed, it is whether even something as beautiful as language its future depends on its economic viability. Uh, the English language is an economically viable thing and therefore it's become the global language of business. And more and more people want to learn this language because it gives you access to a global market, right? It is clearly not, not the most beautiful <coughs> language in the world. Uh, you know, we, uh, all, all native English speakers look at other languages and look at the breadth of emotion or poetry it provides you for you to be able to communicate, you know, highly emotional and nuanced feelings. English doesn't do that, but it's a good, you know, business language to have and has economic potential. Same way, 
with what you've just told me about or spoken about, I feel ultimately diversity, inclusion uh, and representation uh, will that problem will only eventually be solved because of its economic utility as you know, uh, people begin to actually see the value in having a diverse team and actually having all viewpoints in the room to not have found themselves like, oh, I didn't realize that the Kendall, Kendall Jenner handing uh, the cop mm-hmm. a Pepsi during a march is not going to be an offensive thing. Um, clearly, they didn't think that, right? It's a big company, uh, goes through a thousand layers of approval, but nobody from the brand team, creative agency, legal team, compliance, you know, thought that was a red flag. But again, as we get to finding the economic utility in the ideas of diversity, inclusion and representation, I, I, I hope and wish for the world that even if not for the right moral reason, the world will actually come to do the right thing for the right economic reason. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like that's so important. And you touched on a you kind of sparked in a thing about like memorable ads. Like I feel like there's so many ads that a lot of people like you could say like, Oh yeah, I remember that one and like different. So why don't you, why don't you tell me, tell me a few that, that you remember because I, I grew up in a different world and I will tell you mine, but you, you, your audience may not know that. So how about we hear what are your most memorable iconic ads or movie scenes? Um, I'd have to say, <laughs> speaking of Pepsi, um, the Britney Spears Pepsi one, I think that was 2002. Um, I remember that one. So still am a huge Britney fan. Um, the dancing iPod commercials, every time I saw one, it made me want an iPod so badly. And I saw that they just revamped it with hairstyles. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of glad that's back, but the iPod is now officially gone. So RIP iPod. Um, I'm trying to think of any other ones. There was that Orbit commercial where they're like, who you called you, you liquor? No. I think about that one all the time. Um, I'm trying to think what's another that lives right free in my head. Um, dang. All the, I'm, I'm immediately thinking of the Armani, um, Armani code commercials. Because I feel like that was how those commercials were like what was thought to be like the macho man, like all that. And so I remember... When I was like 14, I was like, dang, I have to have our money coach so I can be like this cool, like laid back, <laughs> this cool laid back person. <laughs> what about you? What are some of yours? Man, I'll tell you actually, uh, and I'll, I'll loop some science into this as well. So as our brains, you know, receive any content or information, they, they, you know, they're almost like sinusoidal waves of memory that's been created. There are certain moments that are well encoded in your memory and certain that, are, that aren't. And when you're asked a question about something, like if, if I were to ask you what was the last movie you watched, your brain doesn't go to the credits of the movie and chronologically build uh, the story of the movie. It goes back to certain moments within the movie um, and uses them as hooks to recreate the entire story. That's exactly how we remember every instance in our lives or any kind of you know experience um, or then advertising or any kind of media that we, we absorb. So I, you know, sitting in India, like the amount of media we'd get from the West, you know, uh, obviously increased over time as I, as I grew up because India liberalized its economy in 1992 when I was seven years old. Um, and I think I may have gotten a computer uh, at home for the first time in like 1999 or something. 
And I think my first two Google searches were <laughs> I Dream of Genie. I don't know that, that, that American show, but it was, you know, an old American show that was dubbed in Hindi and broadcasted, uh, you know, when I was young. And I was like, oh, now I have the internet and now I can actually trigger, you know, like the, the memory was triggering an action about something that I had received years ago. But now that I had access to the Western world, I was like, I'm going to look at I Dream of Genie. And I think on the same, the next, my next search was Cindy Crawford because I had, uh, you know, been been a huge fan. And I think there was a commercial uh, that she was in as well, which was, which I had seen. <laughs> and I was like, wow, who's this person? So, um showcases both the idea that brain stores memory in chunks in quanta there are iconic things that become actionable later on and the key for advertisers is unless and until those moments of high levels of memory encoding are associated back with your brand you would have created entertainment and not an ad so you know um just wanted like put that out there that there's remarkable science that showcases how 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 we actually act based on these pieces of information and these ads that become iconic uh become iconic for a reason and that's so true and to wrap up my last question like what advice do you have for marketers who are like oh we want to make that iconic commercial or we want to really create something that's really going to engage people's interests like right off the bat like what advice do you have for them to create memorable ads and just like marketing that really connects with people. Yeah, I would say this. <laughs> Make your subconscious conscious purely because creativity is nothing but your brain connecting data points within your brain that are otherwise disconnected or unconnected. And this whole idea whether again it's the old Gnostic scriptures that say like bring forth what's within you uh, or all of Vedanta which is like be one with yourself or Jung saying make your unconscious conscious um, relies on the fact that if we dig deep enough and, and remove the barriers of entry to accessing our own subconscious then what we are able to get to is true deep human insight. So there are two aspects to it. One is actually educating your subconscious because it's nothing but a sum total of all experiences. And to bring back, you know, a, a point from your earlier question, what makes a good marketer is someone who actually has the breadth of experiences in life, not just the knowledge of the craft. So you can actually truly understand the pulse of the culture rather than just sitting in uh, and creating strategies in an office. So that's one. So educating your subconscious and two, really creating moments where you learn how to actually dig deep within yourself and find that true access to the subconscious or the insight, uh, which allows you to create iconic things. I think the best things in the world have been created through that entire process. Um, um, and luckily, we now have technology to do that. So if you've been able to achieve that, uh, I can at least look at people's brains and tell you that you hit the nail on the head. And, and what are the things that are working and what are not. Oh, that's so, so just so many gems. So good. So good. I've touched on so like I've, I, I need to take notes. Like I'm going to definitely go back and listen to this and be like, you know what? This is what I need to do if I really want people to like catch on to how to advertise this podcast or whatever. 
<laughs> but Pranav, thank you so much for joining us and giving us so many good tips and so much info. Like, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I've, I've learned a ton as well. So thank you for having me and educating me. Uh, thank you. Wow, how great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Aarons, and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.